Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. To a large extent, though not totally, we in Napa feel removed from some of the broader forces of hate and hostility that have befallen the country. But we shouldn't be too smug. Let's remember that one of the very last KKK chapters in California was right here in Napa. Still, as the broader national political landscape continues to darken, and it will, how do we not get pulled into the vortex of discontent? How do we make sure that the best don't lack all conviction and that the worst are not filled with passion and intensity? We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Rabbi Niles Goldstein of Congregation Beth Shalom here in Napa. He is new to the community, and we certainly want to learn more about him, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about you because you are new to the community and a little bit about uh, where you came from and uh, how you wound up here in Napa. Well, it's sort of a long and, and winding road, <laughs> and I don't know that I ever thought I'd wind up in California, but, but here I am. Uh, I'm a Chicago native. Uh, I went out east for school. I, I lived in Philadelphia, in Boston, Wound up living in Jerusalem, Israel, for a couple of years uh, after I had decided to become a rabbi. Went back to New York, wound up living in New York for 20 years, where I uh, founded a synagogue in Greenwich Village, uh, began my career as a writer. I've written a number of books uh, and speaker at synagogues and churches around the country. And then I moved back to Chicago a few years ago. Uh, I wanted to step away from the full-time pulpit for a little while and pursue some other things. And when this opportunity here in Napa uh, presented itself, I, I jumped at the chance. And it's only been a couple of months so far, but um, it, it's been wonderful talk and, inter- little, and interesting. Yeah, talk a little bit about your first impressions of Napa. I mean, obviously, you have you've met you know the members of the congregation, and you've you've been to some events. You've had a sense, chance to get a sense of the place. What's your been your impression of it? Well, it, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, I, I've been a rabbi over 20 years. Um, I've been around the block. I've lived in a lot of different places. So I don't really believe anymore in these romanticized, idealistic visions of, of anywhere, of any job, of any relationship, of any city. You know, and when I was telling colleagues and friends I was moving to Napa, as I'm sure you and right. others know, everyone thinks we sit around all day drinking, drinking wine. wine. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so I had realistic expectations. I didn't think this was going to be a, a utopia. But, you know, I'll tell you, my first impressions are that um, uh, the people are friendly. The weather is gorgeous. Uh, the uh, fact that it's a small town, um, which is something I'm not used to, I've lived in big cities my whole life, is, is tempered by the fact that it's a world-class uh, tourist destination uh, with all that that entails, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say overall, you know, it, it just feels at this point in my life, based on who I am and, and where I am in, in my journey, it, it just feels like a, a good fit. The other part of it, and, and this is one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, is there is something that, that a lot of us have often referred to as kind of a Napa bubble. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're disconnected in a way from a lot of, of the ups and downs and upheaval and cycles that go on in the rest of the country, and you feel them certainly in Chicago, you feel them certainly in New York. Napa is in some ways removed from it. That's both a good thing and a bad thing. Talk a little bit about your thoughts about that in, in a spiritual sense and also in a, in, in a practical sense of being 
somebody that, that becomes a leader in the community? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question, and I, I feel it here, um, the, the idea of the, the Napa bubble. Um, but look, we, we still um, live in the United States. We still um, have no choice but to react to uh, events that we see around us. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, uh, after the events in, in Charlottesville, uh, I had a meeting. It was my first meeting ever with the um, Interfaith Council of Napa. Mm-hmm. And we just decided to, we, we talked about this issue. And with just a few days notice, we put together a peace vigil um, in response to, to what had happened. So I, I get I get it that this is a, a protective or protected bubble in a certain respect. But, you know, I also think we're connected to the, to the wider country. I mean, and who's kidding who? You know, I'm a, I'm a white middle class guy. You know, even though I lived in New York and Chicago, and those are big cities, and you do interact with people of all different races and religions and ethnic backgrounds. Certainly, when you travel through the subway system and everything else. But I lived in a in a largely white and affluent neighborhood in Brooklyn. I lived in a largely white and and relatively affluent neighborhood in in Chicago. So I don't want to kid myself about about who I am and and the kinds of places I've lived. But I do think it's a bit more of a a challenge in a place like Napa than in a major metropolitan area um, to feel that sense of connection with others who are different from you. And I have to say, you asked earlier about my first impressions of Napa, notwithstanding the the significant um, Mexican or or Hispanic population here, uh, which is, you know, ever present. This is not exactly one of the most diverse places I've, I've ever it seen in the world. It certainly is not. So your, your point is well taken. Talk about what you see then and to that point as the role of religious institutions, that the temple or, or churches in the community. What the, the role of religious institutions in a community like this? Well, in that sense, I don't know if I think um, our, our, our mission, um, our, our goals— are that different from the goals, for example, that I had when I had a congregation in New York City, uh, in Manhattan. Um, my personal philosophy about religion is that um, while it is meant to, to comfort us when we're in pain, the job of religion is not just to make us feel good. If you want to just feel good, you know, there are lots of things you can do and substances you, More can, wine. you can ingest to make you feel good. I think religion you know, of course, it is intended to comfort you when you're in pain and in mourning, but it's also meant to challenge you and to make you better than who you are. So my feeling about religion is that at its best, it really challenges us to rethink who we are, to rethink our society, and to really keep us on our toes. That That's the prophetic tradition. Uh, that uh, I feel is very much a part of the Jewish tradition uh, from which I, I, I come. Um, so I think that, um, you know, whether we're in New York City or, or, or Napa, religion, you know, needs to find that balance between comforting us and challenging us. You know, I, I was a chaplain for many years with the law enforcement community, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when I was in New York. And I was involved um, in Oklahoma City after the Murrah building was blown up. Uh, I was a first responder uh, at Ground Zero after 9-11, really powerful 
um, experiences I'll never forget. And one of my colleagues was a Catholic priest. He, he has since passed away. And he said, you know, after, when we were down at Ground Zero, I said, I don't really know what to say to people. You know, we're not going to talk about God. We're not going to talk about theology. I mean, it was cinematic. You know, it, it was apocalyptic being down there, uh, more so than even television could convey. And he said, you know, our jobs are to comfort the afflicted, but to afflict the comfortable as well. And I've never forgotten that. So particularly in a place like Napa, which is so desirable on, on a multiplicity of levels, you know, my job as a rabbi is to not let people get too comfortable, to, to you know, um, afflict them, to agitate them, to provoke them. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to do uh, right now. And given the climate that we're in today, in, in any way that, that you feel comfortable talking about it, what what is it that you would do to provoke them? How is it that you would make them less comfortable? What are the areas that, that you think it's important to talk about? You're talking about my congregation right. specifically? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have a very interesting congregation um, at CBS uh, here in Napa. Uh, while it is primarily um, white, uh, we have a number of people who've converted to Judaism, who've embraced Judaism. So we, we have a, a, a number of people from different backgrounds, but it's largely a white community. Uh, and, and I think one thing that I want to work on, uh, which I haven't done a lot yet because I, I'm so new, is to you know make people think about the idea of white privilege. I didn't think about it myself until recent years. I was teaching a, a course at Loyola University in Chicago, very diverse um, group of graduate students from all different races and, and backgrounds. And, you know, it, it really helped me to um, understand the fact that, that white privilege is, is real and that we need to double down and, and become more sensitive uh, to those who are not from white middle class backgrounds. Um, and, and, you know, that's really one of the only ways we can um, begin to feel empathy and, and a sense of uh, engagement with, with others. So that's one area where I think I'd like to do some work. Of course, the interesting way that this is a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is playing out today is this sense of, of it being a zero-sum game, that if, if somebody loses privilege, somebody else is gaining, mm-hmm. and therefore mm-hmm. there's a sense of aggrievement that goes along with that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that's right. Um, I'm not politically correct, but as I said, I, I do think uh, white privilege is, is, is a very real thing. And I think, you know, you touch on something very astute, uh, which is this culture of victimhood that so many people um, subscribe to. I'm not sure how healthy that is psychologically, uh, and I speak as a Jew, and, and in some of the books I've written, I've been very critical of uh, the Jewish leadership uh, over the last uh, few decades, and the fact that we we ourselves have subscribed to this culture of victimhood, and I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's going to serve us long term, uh, but, but I think you're right. There's a lot of that going around right now, and we need to, to you know, figure out how to, how to balance that. Where do you think that comes from? Why do you think there is so much of that victim sense of victimization? I don't know, but I think part of it might be that um, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. You know, I think of Gen Y, millennials. God knows what the next generation is going to be called. <laughs> but I, I think many people are, are not, including our politicians, mm-hmm. many people are, are not willing to take responsibility. Many people are not willing to apologize. Many people are not willing to look deep within at the muck and mire within themselves 
and, and do a little um, introspection. It's a lot easier to blame somebody else. It's a lot easier to feel aggrieved and, and, and powerless. But um, while I think that that's uh, real in, in many ways, uh, I also think it's a cop-out. You know, we're, we're getting close to the Jewish season of repentance, uh, the days of awe, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And in essence, those are really two holidays that, that set up a 10-day pilgrimage, uh, a spiritual pilgrimage into the soul. And what we're supposed to do during that time is look within, you know, um, is to look at ways in which we have fallen short during the previous year and, and to recommit ourselves to, to becoming better people in the year ahead. So I come from a tradition, at least that on the books, ideally doesn't let us um, just become victims that says we need to be assertive. We need to take responsibility. We need to look at our own shortcomings before criticizing others. So while I don't really have an answer about the phenomenon in America, um, I think part of it might come from some of those ideas. I think it also comes from something you were talking about before in terms of this sense of privilege and, and the fact that it, it's under siege in many respects, that it comes from a sense of fear, that people mm-hmm. are afraid, that they feel that their position and all that they have is so fragile mm-hmm. given the changing nature of society today that that fear is what generates this, this sense of victimhood in many ways. Well, I think you're right. And there's a book, which I'm, I, I, ha, I ha, hate to admit that I haven't read yet, but I know a lot about it, Hillbilly Elegy. Right. You know, and, and the recent presidential election, I think, attests to what you're talking about, uh, particularly among you know, white working class men in this country. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of he, fear. He misses the point. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. Okay. We can that's another, another conversation. Day. It's worth reading, but he but, misses the point in a lot of ways. But, but if I can just say one, one thing, because I draw from psychology often in my own books, um, you know, Conrad Lorenz, the, the great anim, animal behaviorist, was the one who coined the frustration aggression response in animals. When they're, when they're cornered, they usually respond in one of two ways. They either uh, run away uh, or, or they fight. Uh, and I think what we're seeing among a lot of people here who feel uh, afraid is they're lashing out. And we see that uh, in Charlottesville. I think we saw that in, in the last election. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to oversimplify complex national um, uh, forces, but I think that's part of what's going on in this country right now. Talk a little bit about, and, and maybe you've had this conversation with some members of the congregation or some members of the community, that on the one hand, I sounds like these are issues that are important to you, that, that you want to be able to talk about in, in a leadership position in the community and of the congregation. And yet I suspect that there's probably a lot of people that will say, well, you know, we don't, we don't, we're in Napa. We don't need to talk about mm-hmm. that. Things are, you know, just fine here. We can talk about the wine. We can talk about the bubble. We can talk about mm-hmm. land use issues. We don't need to talk about all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I wouldn't agree with someone who took that kind of a position. I think, as I said earlier, you know, as um, a community that's part of, of, the, of California, the state of California, uh, the country of the United States, you know, we're citizens. We, we have to engage in this dialogue. I mean, I have the challenge as, as a rabbi of this community um, and, you know, someone that, that people look up to, you know, I have to balance being diplomatic with being um, someone who, again, um, coming from the prophetic tradition, calls truth to power when, when necessary. 
But, you know, I want to be the rabbi of a congregation where whether you're a liberal Democrat or a conservative Republican or a libertarian, you know, you will feel welcome if, if you want to pray with us, uh, if you want to, to join us in, in worship uh, or in study. Uh, and I have to balance that fact, uh, you know, with the other fact that we live, in my view, uh, at a time of great uncertainty, of great parallel, uh, where, of great peril, uh, and where many of us, myself included, have very, very serious concerns about our political leadership, not just here, but but also abroad. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I need to figure out how to how to walk that line between presiding over a welcoming and inclusive congregation while also making my views known in a way that I hope is not going to offend other people. Was For you, in your experience, was this always the case when you started out as a rabbi in New York or, or wherever? Did you have to worry about these things as much, the, the way politics and, and religion sometimes and community leadership, the way they are, are conflated today, as you were talking about, mm-hmm. were those things as big a deal back when you started out? Um, I don't think so. You know, I'm, I'm 51. I was ordained in 94. So I've been a rabbi 23 years. And, you know, talk about bubbles. You know, I founded a congregation in, in Greenwich Village in New York. You know, that that's kind of a bubble in itself uh, in, in many ways. Um, I was younger. I was more brash. I wrote a book called Gonzo Judaism, you know, a, a nod to Gonzo journalism and Hunter Thompson where I, I named names and I was very provocative and um, I got into some trouble with that book. I was very outspoken about the ways in which the Jewish establishment had completely missed the mark. Um, I'd say, you know, 10, 12 years later, I've softened a bit. I think I'm a little wiser mm-hmm. and, and more humble. Uh, but I do think the political climate has, I don't know if I, I would say it's changed. I think it, it has become more of an exaggeration, almost a caricature uh-huh. of it, of what it was 10, 20 years ago. Um, and that, that's, what's different. You know, if, if 20 years ago, uh, when was Gingrich speaker of the house? Was that about 20 years ago? About 20 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, if that was a, a polarized time, which it was, you know, th- this is polarization on steroids. So, uh, I do think there's a difference, but I don't know if it's qualitative rather than, than quantitative. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly makes for interesting times. I think it does. I do. Do you think you're going to miss the big city? Well, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in big cities my, my whole life, and I love being able able to, to walk to you know your local Ethiopian or Vietnamese BYOB restaurant and get a good meal for not a lot of money. You know, the, the what I'm starting to observe already about Napa and the, and the Valley is that it caters very heavily toward the tourist industry. And so since I'm a local now, I guess you would say, um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate that there are so many, it's great that there's so many wonderful restaurants, you know, but as everyone here probably knows, they're also pricey. So I'd like to see a few more, uh, you know, ethnic restaurants <laughs> that are a little more reasonable, but a little out of town for that. You have to go to Berkeley or Oakland, I guess <laughs> right. for that. Um, even Vallejo has <clears throat> or Vallejo, but I, I, I feel very fortunate, you know, in, in just two months, I've met a lot of the leaders uh, from the religious community, uh, from the um, 
political community here. And, you know, the people are great and they've been very welcoming. And I'm the only rabbi uh, in, in the valley. And so, you know, I have to bring my A game and, and really do a good job. And there are a lot of unaffiliated Jews who live in the area. And I hope I'll, I'll be able to build a community where uh, they'll give us a, a shot and, and check it out. Talk about that. Building a community within the Jewish community as a separate and apart almost from the congregation itself, because they're really two different things in a way. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and, you know, look, I'm I'm a rabbi. My, my first uh, priority is to the congregation I serve, you know, that hired me and, and brought me out here. Um, but, you know, I also have a responsibility to the wider Jewish community or really anyone who wants to talk to me. And I've already met with people uh, who are not members, who are interested in exploring Judaism, uh, who are Christian, want to learn more about Judaism, uh, or who just want to have lunch and get to know me a little better. You know, I've, I've done all of that already. Um, I had a mentor. Uh, his name is Yitz Greenberg. He was an Orthodox rabbi, Harvard PhD, real, real maverick in, in, the, in the field. And he would constantly talk about this Talmudic principle of Ba'asher Husham, which basically means meet people where they are, you know, whether that's spiritually, intellectually, geographically. So I welcome as a rabbi, atheists, agnostics, doubters, seekers, you know, people who've stepped away from their faith, who might be inching their way back toward it. Uh, But I also take it literally. And so what I'm going to try to do over the next few years is not only have programs at CBS on 1455 Elm Street, but in art galleries, at wine bars, in nature, you know, I believe it's really important to meet people where they are and not just have them come to us. I mean, we just had a great program yesterday on uh, the peace movement in in Israel, Uh, but I think we can do a lot of other things um, off-site, and I'm going to, you know, as as my time allows, I'll, I'll try to do that Uh, to the extent that I can. Well, we look forward to it. I thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us today. Thank you. Rabbi Niles Goldstein, thank you so much. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.